0: This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth.
1: Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk
0: historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI.
1: Give Uncle Brian a shot.
0: We are United Faith Mortgage. The remainder of this week, we bring you four messages a former MBI president, Paul Nyquist, delivered at MBI Founders Week from 2011 to 2014. Paul Nyquist is a pastor, author, former president of the Moody Bible Institute, and currently dean of graduate programs and professor at the Bible Seminary in Katy, Texas. Now, here is Paul Nyquist on Today in the Word Radio.
1: A conference this year is a theme that is familiar and yet often confusing. The theme, as you know, is be holy. And we're very familiar with that word holy. It's used over 600 times in the Bible. That's a word common in our conversation. You know, if we see a mischievous youngster, we say, there, there's a holy terror. <laughs> or when we get surprised, we might say, holy cow. Or if we're dumbfounded, we'd say, holy mackerel or holy moly. Now what a mole, a mackerel, and a cow have to do with holiness is not the question. (laughs) But it does raise the question, what does it mean to be holy? A number of years ago, world-renowned photographer Joey Lawrence went around the world snapping photos of holy men. Here are just a few of his his fabulous photos. And as you look at these, a number of descriptors might come to your mind, like curious, interesting, exotic. But perhaps as you look at these photos, the number one descriptor might come to your mind as odd. And friends, that's how the world views holy people. They're just odd. Odd they're not normal they're weird they're odd and while it's not bad to be odd depending on how the world defines normal my question is is that what it means to be holy it's just not the world that's confused about this christians are too if you were to ask the average person in the pew what it means to be holy you'd probably get a vast array of answers for some Holiness consists of the rules you keep. So if you do the do's and don't the don'ts, you qualify as holy. For others, holiness consists of the separation you maintain. So if you keep yourself isolated and hermetically sealed from anything that could be evil, you qualify as holy. For still others, holiness consists of the religious habits you keep. So if you're in church, every time the doors are open, you teach Sunday school, and you tithe on a regular basis, you qualify as holy. My question is, is that what it means to be holy? And friends, we can't have a fuzzy answer here, because as we're going to see in our passage tonight in 1 Peter chapter 1, God commands us to be Holy. And yet if we don't understand what that means then we can spend all of our time on the wrong things and at the end find ourselves frustrated and tired and not one inch closer to holiness. So what does it mean to be holy? Well tonight our author, Peter, is going to take us into a deep dive into this important subject. And as we dig into these verses and try and expose the truth that's there, we're going to ask and answer three different questions. First, what does it mean to be holy? Really, what does that mean? Secondly, why does God want us to be holy? What's the purpose in that? And then third, How do we do this? How do we pursue holiness in a world that is anything but holy? We're going to see the first answer to that question. The first question is found in the first two verses of our passage, verses 14 and 15. We're going to find that the second question is answered in the third verse of our passage, verse 16. And we're going to find the third question is answered when we expand it out on a practical level and try and discern what it means to be holy in a world that is very unholy. So if you have your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter in chapter 1. And we're going to look at three verses that are tucked right in the middle of that chapter, verses 14 through 16. So 1 Peter, the very first chapter, And beginning in verse 14, and here Peter writes these words. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, allow me to put these verses in their fuller context. If you let your eyes go back to the opening verses of this chapter, you will see that Peter here repeatedly reminds us of the blessings we have in Christ. In verse 3, he said, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Verse 4, that God has given us an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled. Verses 10 through 12, that God has given us a salvation so wondrous, so glorious that even the angels long to look upon it. And then having said all of that, he now goes on to say in verse 14 now, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. Now again, the first question is, what does it mean To be holy. We've already seen there's a lot of confusion in this area. So, what does that mean? Well, notice in answering that, Peter gives us both a negative command and a positive command. The negative command, that is what we're to avoid, is found in verse 14 when he says, As obedient children, don't be conformed to your former lusts." And notice there the word he uses to describe us, children, children, not redeemed ones, not saints, not a word that speaks of our our spiritual status, but rather a word that speaks of our familial status. That is, he chooses a word here that seeks to emphasize that we are now part of God's family. And he does that again just a few verses later in verse 17 when he says, And if you address as father the one who impartially judges you. And the if shows that this is indeed true. He is our father. We are his children. We're family that means while we were once far off, we have now been brought near. Look to chapter 2 in verse 10. He said, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. So we are the people of God. We are God's family. He is our Father. We are His children. We're family. Now, being family means something. It means something. It means you carry a name. It means you're intimately related to others who also carry that name. And it means you have responsibilities. You have obligations. Back when I was with my family and over New Year's back in Nebraska, my brother-in-law and I helped put in We put in a a new uh, garage door opener for my dad. It was only about 100 degrees below zero that day. But that's what families do. I'm his son. He's my father. That's what families do. And Peter says, here's what God's family does. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to your former lusts. That is, the first responsibility of being a child of God is that we no longer fashion ourselves according to the lusts that were true of us before we came to know Christ. He says, don't be conformed to that. And the word conformed, it's only used one other time in the entire New Testament, but that's in a very prominent use in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Where Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the word conform means to adopt a shape, to adopt a form. Here it's in the middle voice, which means that this form is not forced upon us, but we choose it. That is, we choose, I don't want to be in that form, but I do want to be in this form. And so we pour ourselves into that mold. Well, what Paul says in Romans twelve two is, "Don't be conformed to the mold of the world." But now, First Peter, Peter writes, "And don't be conformed to your former lusts." Now, the word "lust" or some translations put it "desires." That that word "lust," it's not necessarily negative. It can be morally neutral, and it's used somewhere, uh, elsewhere like that in the Bible. But here it is clearly negative. Here he's talking about those strong desires that drive us to sin. And and we all have them, because we all have a sin nature present in us. But that means we have to control them, we have to govern them, because if we don't, they're going to steer us in a certain direction. It's like, it's like driving a car that's seriously out of alignment. You get in that car, and you're driving on I-80 West. You're jockeying for position with all the 18-wheelers there on that part of the pavement. And as you do, you realize this car is strongly pulling to the left. And even though it's got power steering, I mean, it's, it's everything you do, to, you do to keep it on the right side of the road. And so you're having to pull it constantly to the right. And you know, if I ever take my hands off this steering wheel and just let this car where it wants to go, I'm going to end up in the ditch. It's the same thing here. We've got these strong desires present within us, and they want to steer us in a certain direction. And friend, these lusts and desires do not differentiate between what belongs to us and what doesn't belong to us. So they're going to drive us to maybe take what belongs to our neighbor, their house, their possession, their position, their spouse. And you end up in the ditch. So Peter says, keep your hands on the moral steering wheel of your life. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Before we knew Christ, we had no choice. The lust took us wherever we wanted. They wanted. But now that we know Christ, the power of sin has been broken in our lives, and for the very first time, we can guide the car down the road to Holiness. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 6 12, he says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you may obey its lusts. In other words, keep your hand on the steering wheel. When you were ignorant of God, you had no choice, but now you are part of God's family, you do. So keep your hands on the wheel. And don't end up in the ditch. That's the first command. And it means that if we want to be holy, that the first thing we need to do is determine those things in our life where we are still being conformed to our former lusts. And this isn't intended to discourage us. This is intended to sober us. That is, we're kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves if we think we're holy. We have done nothing to rein in our lusts. We all have them. So what's the difference between Billy Graham, who obviously lives righteously, and... Maybe your friend at church who obviously does not. Obedience. See, it's not that one has a sin nature in them and the other one doesn't. It's not that one has the Holy Spirit in them and the other one doesn't. It's just that one takes the issue of obedience seriously and the other one doesn't. I like what Jerry Bridges wrote in his book called Pursuit of Holiness. He says it's time for Christians to face up to our responsibility for holiness. Too often we say we're defeated by this or that sin. No, we're not defeated. We're simply disobedient. It might be good if we stopped using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. That's exactly the term that Peter uses here. He says, As obedient children, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts. In other words, keep your hands on the steering wheel. That's the first command. Then notice he goes on to give us a second command in verse 15. The first one is negative. Now, the second one is positive. In verse 14, he said, Don't be conformed to your former lusts. But now in verse 15, he says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. The first command was a negative. He says, Don't be conformed to your former lusts. Now, the second command, he says, But like the Holy One... Be holy yourself in all your behavior. And and please notice the standard of measurement that he uses to determine our holiness. You see, we're believers, and so we want to be seen as holy. You want that, I want that. But we also know we've got these areas of unholiness in our life, so that causes a conflict in our conscience. How can we appear to be holy when we've got these areas of unholiness in our lives? Answer, you find a standard of measurement that makes you look good. You find a standard of measurement by which you appear to be holy. For some, it can be a a list of rules. And as long as that list of rules doesn't contain something that you struggle with, you can measure yourself up against it and appear to be holy for others, it's other people. Well, you know you have flaws and failings. You're better than Billy or Bob. So, if you measure yourself against them, you can appear to be holy. My point is, if we all look hard enough, we can find a standard of measurement by which we can appear to be holy. Like the little boy who came up to his dad and he said, I am now six feet tall. I measured myself. And father's confused because he knows that's not true, but then the little boy holds up the measurement, and the dad sees he's not using a 12-inch ruler, he's using a 6-inch ruler. And my point is, if we all look hard enough, and some of us may have to look real hard, but if we all look hard enough, we can find a standard of measurement by which we can appear to be holy. But notice what Peter says is our standard. He says, but like the Holy One who called you. And the word like in the Greek text is kata. It's a preposition which means according to. Which means that the standard of measurement that we are to use is none other than the Holy One. God Himself. Not a list of rules. Not other people. The Holy One. Now, that raises the next question. What does it mean for God to be holy? What does that mean for God, and what does that mean for us? Well, the word holy in its most basic meaning means to be set apart, to be wholly separated, to be marked off. It means something's been removed from that which is common and ordinary and profane, and it's been set apart for a special holy use it is set apart president abraham lincoln in his gettysburg address said that that civil war battlefield gettysburg was now hallowed ground holy what he was saying was that uh, because of the blood that was shed there, because of the men's lives that were lost there, but that piece of real estate cannot be considered just like all the other land around it. No, it has now been set apart. It is holy, and that's what the word "holy" means—to be set apart. And therefore, holiness means that there is this increasing set apartness in our life. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it fits. There's this increasing set-apartness in our life. And we're not like everybody else. We're different. We're distinct. We are holy. Now, in a negative way, that means there's the absence of sin and evil. We're set apart from that. But in a positive way, it also means there's the presence of that which is pure and right and good. And so, to be holy means that there's this increasing set-apartness in our life. The absence of that which is evil, and the presence of that which is good and pure. To use an illustration I first heard from Dr. Charles Ryrie, holiness is like health. To be healthy means not only that your body is free of disease and sickness, but it also means that there's a presence of good, healthy functions in your body, like good blood pressure, good sugar count in terms of your blood sugar, good cholesterol, all of that are things that make you healthy. It's the same thing here. To be holy means there's the absence of that which is negative and then the presence of that which is pure and good. And notice Peter says, God is the Holy One. He's the Holy One. He is wholly separate and distinct from His creation. There's an otherness to Him. He's the Holy One. John puts it like this in 1 John 1, 5. He says, God is light, and in in Him there is no darkness at all. God is light and that there is this, uh, there's a presence of that which is good and right and pure, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is, there is no sin or darkness. That's a description of his holiness. A.W. Tozer said this, holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to the standard He is the standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than He is. So this is the standard of measurement. It's not other people, not a list of rules, not a set of policies. It's God Himself. And Peter says, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior. And please notice he does not say, be as holy as God is, because that would be impossible. God's got an absolute holiness. That's who he is. But through redemption, he has enabled us to take on a creaturely, holiness. So that we take on a family resemblance. And that's necessary because when we come to faith in Christ, our lives are a mess. A total disaster. We've been walking in sin all our life and, you know, we've got the scars to prove it. We've been walking around with a darkness in our minds and we've made a total train wreck of our lives. But then God, through His grace, allows us to cross that line of faith. He adopts us into His family. We become His adopted sons and daughters. He adopts us into that family. And He wants us then to take on that family resemblance. But that means then that we cannot just We cannot just exclude or excuse anything. Because notice Paul says here, uh, Peter says here in verse 15, like the one who called it, be holy yourself in all your behavior. You see, this is something where both God and us are involved in the process. God has made it possible to change the train wreck in our lives. Paul says that in Philippians 1, 6, that God has a part in this when he says, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God has a part in this life, but we also have a part in this, in that we're to put off the dead man and put on the new man. And we are consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul shows the equation of this in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, where in verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. But then in verse 13, he goes on to say, but it is God who has worked in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. So it's not either or, it's both and. God is at work in our life, but we are also to be working and to be obedient as children. So that means we can't, excuse anything or exclude anything. Because he says, be holy in all your behavior. Not some of it. Not most of it. He says, all of it. That means God's, this holiness is to permeate every nook and cranny of our lives. Whether work or pleasure, difficulty or easy, there's nothing to be excluded from our life. If we want to be like the Holy One who has called us, then the only acceptable goal that we have in our lives is that we're holy in all our behavior. Now, that leads us to a second important question. That is, why does God want us to be holy? We've seen what it means to be holy, but why does God want us to be holy? Well, Peter answers that in the last verse of our passage, verse 16. He said in verse 15, Be holy yourself in all your behavior, because, here's the reason why, verse 16, It is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. Why does God want us to be holy? Well, Peter says the reason is because the authority and testimony of God's Word. He says because it is written. And Peter here reminds us that God's Word repeatedly calls everyone that God has brought into a relationship with Himself to be holy holy. Now, he quotes here from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. Scholars are not in agreement about what passage he's actually quoting from, because this phrase is seen in several different passages. It's found in chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. It's found in chapter 19 and verse 7. It's found twice in chapter 20. And so, because that's true, I don't think that Peter's intending to quote from just one verse in Leviticus, I think instead he's saying, here is a refrain, here is a theme that is found throughout the book of Leviticus, and that is, we are to be holy because God is holy, and we are to take on a family resemblance. And that's just not true of the people that God brings into a relationship with Himself. That's true of everything that God brings into a relationship with Himself. Jerusalem is called the holy city in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 2. Mount Zion is called the holy mountain in Isaiah 65, 11. Israel is called the holy nation in Deuteronomy 7, 6. My point is everything and everyone that God brings into a relationship with Himself as the Holy One is now commanded to be holy. And because we are now His children, brought into His family, He has commanded us to be holy. That is, we're to take on a family resemblance by pursuing an ever Increasing set apartness in our lives. Now, one last question before we stop. That is, how do we do this? How do we pursue holiness in a world like ours? Well, as we daily chart that course, there are two different traps we can fall into. One trap is that in our pursuit of holiness, we become isolated from the world. That is, we see set-apartness as requiring separation, physical separation. And so in our desire to be pure and holy, we isolate ourselves from anything that might possibly contaminate us. This is, of course, some of the thinking that went into the formation of monasteries. You isolate yourself. It is also the thinking that went into the Essenes, a sect at the time of Jesus. They lived in communes apart from the rest of society. Isolated Insulated, separated. I get that. There's safety there. But the problem is, there's more to our calling than just holiness. We are called to be holy, but we are also called to be witnesses to this world. We are called to be holy, but we're also called to fulfill the Great Commission. And if we become isolated from this world, we cannot have impact on this world. So somehow, some way, in a holy way, we need to be authentically engaged in this world, like Jesus was. He lived a pure, sinless, holy life, but He was authentically engaged in this world to the point that those who saw holiness as requiring physical separation like the Pharisees roundly accused him and criticized him, saying that he eats and drinks with sinners. Jesus proves you can be holy and authentically engaged. So don't fall under the first trap of isolationism. But also don't fall into the second trap. And the second trap is that in your desire to be authentically engaged, you lose all your set apartness. There's nothing distinctive. There's a sameness, an equality, a congruity between how the children of God live and how the children of Satan live. And this, of course, is the challenge facing this generation, the millennials. There's an abiding passion among young people today to be authentically engaged with culture and transform it for Jesus Christ. I hear that all over campus, and I applaud that. That's biblical. But here's the challenge. To be authentically engaged... And yet, holy in all your behavior. To be distinct and yet not distant. To be set apart and not separate. It's a difficult line to navigate. But navigate it, we must. Because holiness means there's an increasing set-apartness in our lives. And God has called us to be holy. And he's commanded us to be holy because he himself is holy. And he wants us, he demands that we take on a family resemblance. So let me ask you. Are you progressing in your set-apartness? Are you increasing in your holiness? Are you more set-apart now in 2014 than you were in 2013? Can Can you point to areas in your life... Are you more holy, more set apart now than you were before? And where do you still need to deal with some things? Where are you still making excuses? Where do you need a fresh commitment to holiness and obedience in your life? I encourage you to Take a spiritual inventory of your life. You can call it the state of my holiness, my state of my set-apartness 2014. And identify those areas where you're still being conformed to your former lusts. Name them for what they are. And then determine that a year from now, at Next Founders Week, that you're going to be more set apart than you are today. You see, God has called us into his family, and he commands that we take on a family resemblance. So how badly do you want to be like your daddy? There's a picture that we have in a family album from a little over 20 years ago. I was out mowing the lawn, and uh, when my sons see that, the two oldest ones were probably age six and age four at that time, decide they want to join me. So they, they go scurrying into the garage, and they get their little plastic mowers. You know, you've seen them. And they come out, and they start following me all around the lawn. And I look back, and there's Taylor, and there's Carson, imitating everything I'm doing. Two children saying, I want to be just like my daddy. How badly do you want to be like your daddy? Your Heavenly Father. The Holy One. Take on a family resemblance by pursuing an ever-increasing set-apartness in your life. Let's pray. Father, first of all, thank you for making us, your children for bringing us into your family. We were once far off, but you made us part of your family. You adopted us as your children. And we admit the shambles that our lives were when we come to that moment of faith. Now, no matter where we were, you say, I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy like I am holy Father thank you that you have a part in that and that you are at work in our lives but we acknowledge we also have a big part that we're to be no longer conformed to those things that were forcing us into their mold in the past that we're to keep our hands on that steering wheel And we're to be obedient children. You've broken the power of sin in our lives. You've made that possible. And every day, each week, each month, we want to be more and more like you. We want to be progressing in holiness. Forgive us for those days when we fall back. Forgive us for those days when we are disobedient. And keep pushing this command deep into our hearts. That you are holy. And we're your children. And therefore we are to be holy. In Jesus' name.
0: You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message titled A Family Resemblance that Paul Nyquist delivered at MBI Founders Week 2014. Paul Nyquist is a pastor, author, former president of Moody Bible Institute, and currently dean of graduate programs and professor at the Bible Seminary in Katy, Texas. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Join us again next week when we bring you a series of messages Ronald Blue presented at Moody Week 1988. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.